time ago, a million years B.C. The best things in life were absolutely free. But no one appreciated the sky that was always... Alvin was a bad guy. Actually, Alvin was one of the baddest guys. At least he was considered that by the new acting head of the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover had named Alvin public enemy number one, the last surviving one of four at the time of Alvin's capture by Hoover himself. The story of his arrest vary depending on who's telling the story. Either way, in early 1936, Alvin, public enemy number one, was captured at heading off to become the longest serving inmate at Alcatraz Island. But by April 1962, Alcatraz was closing. Alvin Creepy Carpus, the brains of the Barker Carpus gang, was heading to Terminal Island, Washington, alongside Charles Manson. We are listening to the number one song of 1936. From Decca Records, Pennies from Heaven, performed by Bing Crosby. Trade them for a package of sunshine and flowers. If you want the things you love, you must have showers. So when you hear it thunder, don't run under. There'll be pennies from heaven for you and me. Fifty years old. Bing Crosby was my heartthrob. Frank Sinatra was my was my hero. Uh, not uh, uh, the Beatles. Uh, in other words, Dean Martin is uh, right, lives right across the river from where I live in, in Wheeling, West Virginia. I'm from Kentucky. I'm a Kentucky boy. You know. I, in other words, like it took me twenty some years to get to California. Let's go, Bowen. We pick up the story of Charles in July 1961 with his transfer from Los Angeles to McNeil Island, Washington. Shortly after Charles arrived at McNeil, Alvin Carpus also transferred to McNeil Island from the now-closing Alcatraz Island. Carpus came to the facility with the reputation of public enemy number one. Charlie, at some point, asked Carpus for guitar lessons. 
The two were either cellmates, or Charlie had seen Alvin playing his steel guitar. What kind of music can we imagine a depression-aged gangster to be playing? One of the popular hits of Carpus's era would have been 1936's Steel Guitar Rag by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Aboard this train, everybody get on, ready, let's go boys, kick it off Leon, kick it off. Steel, sure, I'd be on the way home, like if I seen something in a store window. Don't forget, they didn't have squad cars or anything like that in those days. If I seen something in a store window that appealed to me on the streets going home, I'd hide a brick or two around there on the alley or the street in the first stormy night. Why, I'd just throw the brick through the window and uh, go in there and take what it was I wanted out there, maybe destroy a $50 window for $3 object and things But like somewhere that. you decided on bank robbery. I, I think oh, it was well, you said the biggest celebrities in the 20s were the bank robbers. Well, Did the, you want to be a celebrity? The, the, the burglars. The yeah. burglars. Well, they held a fascination for me, sure. The safe-cracking part. It wasn't so much, I don't think, the, the uh, being a celebrity, because to be a celebrity, you had to be known. You can't do that kind of business and be known without going to jail. Carpus would say in his autobiography, This kid approaches me to request music lessons. He wants to learn guitar and become a music star. Little Charlie is so lazy and shiftless. I doubt if he'll put in the time required to learn. The youngster has been in institutions all his life. First orphanages, then reformatories, and finally federal prison. His mother, a prostitute, was never around to look after him. I decided it's time someone did something for him. And to my surprise, he learns quickly. He has a pleasant voice and a pleasing personality, although he's unusually meek and mild for a convict. He never has a harsh word to say, 
and is never involved in even an argument. But still my baby, she looks after me. She walked in the rain till her feet got soaking wet. She walked in the rain till her feet got soaking wet. Next, we are going to hear a rare tape phone call from Charlie from prison. Probably in the 1980s. At the end of the call, we can hear Charles singing the obscure ragtime hit, The Witch is Back on the Ground. Jesus. This recorded call is from an inmate at a California correctional facility. Yes. What that progression sounds like is like, uh, where's that careless chambermate? Where she put my razor blade? She missed the lady. I'm afraid it's gotta be found. Well, I asked her when she cleaned my room. What she done with my perfume? I just can't lose it. I gotta use it. That witch is back on the ground. You can tell the milkman not to call. I ain't coming home until the fall. I might not be back at all. That witch is back in town. You can tell all my pets, all my hard-on croquettes, Mr. Otis regrets that he won't be around. You can tell the milkman not to call. I ain't coming home until the fall. I might not be back home at all. That bitch is back on the ground. Now, the rest of the story. April 1962, the tomb-like confines of McNeil Island Penitentiary came alive with intense whispers. Creepy was coming. After more than a quarter century in Alcatraz, more time than any other con had ever served on the rock, Creepy was being transferred to McNeil Island, the no-nonsense United States Penitentiary near Tacoma, Washington. McNeil Island inmates speculated eagerly, almost anxiously, as to what Creepy would be like after all of these years. How would he act? What would he say? For few bad guys in the history of crime had been more wanted while at large or more legendary behind bars than had Creepy, the haunty-eyed, pasty-faced public enemy number one, personally apprehended by J. Edgar Hoover himself, the last surviving member of the notorious Barker gang, Ma Barker's adopted son, Alvin Carpets. Yes, you met him during a previous visit. And of all of the prisoners at McNeil Island, one 26-year-old felon was most fascinated by the prospect of meeting this, this living legend. And that young inmate's name was Chuck. And that brings us to the rest of the story. Not long after Carpus arrived at McNeil Island, Chuck approached him and struck up a friendship with the aging gangster. Somebody had mentioned that Carpus could play the steel guitar. Chuck said, can you teach me? Carpus agreed. And during the hours the two spent together, Chuck learned much about his infamous new friend. 
He was not Al Carpus. He'd been born Albin Karpowitz in Montreal. He never did bother to become a United States citizen. He'd been leaning on the law ever since he could remember. But the big time crime started when he met Freddie Barker in prison. When they both got out, Freddie took Alvin home to Mother, who just happened to be the one and only Ma Barker. Ma took a liking to Carpus and treated him as one of her own, partly because all of her other sons but Freddie were either in the slam or under the ground. But then as the surviving Barker boys returned home from jail, more jobs were planned, bigger and bolder ones than ever before, robberies and kidnappings, mostly in six figures. And then Doc was captured, Freddie and Ma were killed in a shootout, and that left Carpus at large and public enemy number one. And when the feds finally closed in on him, Director Hoover himself was there in person. Ironically, not one among the legion of FBI had brought handcuffs, so to bind Carpus's hands, they had to use an agent's necktie. Bail was set at half a million dollars, the highest so far in United States history. On August 7 of 1936, the big door slammed behind Al Carpus on the rock. The last of the big name depression era public enemies had been put away for life. It was all an intriguing story to the young ears of that inmate Chuck, and a story he would never forget. Seven years later, California's Benedict Canyon ran red with the blood of a Hollywood movie star and her friends. And that day Chuck, the fawning disciple who once sat at the feet of Alvin Carpus, outdistanced his mentor in infamy. They thought Carpus was creepy. Well, the protege whom he taught to play guitar, the cellmate, Chuck, whom he had inspired in the spring of 1962, was Charles Manson. Now you know the rest of the story. Alvin Creepy Carpus is paroled in 1969. Charlie continues to practice and improves musically. Charlie is paroled in 1967 and before leaving prison asks Carpus for musical connections in Las Vegas and possibly to the Mafia. Charlie's musical talent would also attract the attention of another fellow inmate with major musical connections, Phil Kaufman. We will meet up with Phil Kaufman next episode. Until then, we will close out with one of the hits of April 1962, Shelley Fabaris' Johnny Angel. Is known is written and produced by myself, Jason Hay. Thank you for listening. Concentrate on Johnny and Jeff